Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce in the host chair in Sydney. We've got Christy Doran in St. Etienne, entrenched ahead of the World Cup in France. And it's a big welcome back to the author of A Complete History of the Rugby World Cup and my old boss here at ESPN, Lance Petey. Uh, LP, welcome back to Rugby Circles, mate. It's going to be a busy time for you ahead and uh, great to get your insights on the pod before, uh, what are we, just over a week out from kickoff? Thank you, Sam. Great to be back and great to see you as well, Christy. I've been an avid listener over the past few weeks and months, so it's uh, yeah, good to join you both. Well, it's great to see you guys. I'll tell you what, I arrived in Sinedian yesterday evening and I'm having dinner by myself. There's not an Aussie journal yet uh, in town. Tommy D's in about to arrive today and here behind me, a young girl, well, what I think is a young girl singing the national anthem, and I look around, and I go over to the lady and the, her daughter, and she's practicing to be singing for the uh, the choir when when the Australians are going to be greeted. And I thought that was so gorgeous. Like, let's wow. think about that. And um, yeah, it was just a lovely moment. But there's a bit of a buzz around town, and uh, I, I imagine for a population of about 150,000, it's going to be completely different to the experience that say Paris has when. And you know, millions live there, and and I don't know if there'll be too many drops in that ocean, but here in Sydney, it'll be a massive one. I wait to get over there myself, mate. And uh, now T minus, what are we? Five days till I fly, so I know you've done the legwork in Paris. Great to see a bit of research going in to Saint Etienne as well, um, gents. We won't waste too much time. This is, of course, our big Rugby World Cup 2023 preview. Um, Countdown certainly uh, very much on now into its final week, uh, just over a week when we're recording this in Australia, Thursday afternoon. Um, the last of the warm-up games are done as we covered up earlier this week, Christy, you and I. Um, but it's time to go through this pool by pool and look at some some winners, some pool winners, some quarterfinalists, uh, the upsets, the players that are going to rock our socks off uh, in France over the next little bit of time. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. When we get underway in Paris Friday night next week, and and that's where we're going to start, of course, with Pool A. Um, Christy, I don't think we've ever had, or we certainly have not had an opening game of this stature. The hosts against the mighty All Blacks, uh, two teams in the the top four, I think now, uh, two and four in the rankings after the weekend. Um, some injuries on both sides, uh, some suspensions. Um, it's just been a busy build-up, but um, 80,000 people plus expected at Stade de France for this one. What a hell of an opening game for a Rugby World Cup. You're right, and and it kind of felt last in, in the 2019 World Cup when you had South Africa and New Zealand going out at very early on that you thought, wow, this, what, a, what a start to their pool. But when you've got the host nation that's going to be having that crowd behind them you know, being there last Sunday hearing how loud it was for a France Australia Walmart match which effectively meant nothing uh it was it was uh, just a, a real appetizer around what's going to be coming a huge game I think that they're going to be rocked a little bit by the news of Jonathan Dante probably missing that first match with a hamstring injury that's a big loss they're missing already their loose head um bio I think that's a that's two really key positions to be able to kind of get off the back and then you throw in Roman Entermac and there's three guys that are generally first 15 players wouldn't surprise me at all if New Zealand run out and bounce back off the back of South Africa but I think Fraser go very deep in this World Cup whether or not they win this first match 
I don't know if they will, but they've certainly got the momentum behind them. LP, we saw last World Cup clearly that uh, you can drop a game and come back and win it all, as South Africa did. Um, certainly not the the tournament opener as this one is, but the boxing All Blacks in Yokohama. I was at that game. It was a cracking game of footy. Um, you might recall Cheslin Colby turning Richie Moong inside mm. out and the, the All Blacks number 10 making an incredible uh, tackle, two of the fastest uh, fleet-footed players on the on the planet. And um, there was just some brilliant rugby played in that game. Uh, but it kind of just opened up for the All Blacks from there. Sorry, for the Springboks from there, didn't it? Because Japan, of course, topped their ball. They got uh, Japan in the quarters as a result. Um, and then Wales in a semi... And next thing you know, they're in a final against England. So I don't think either of these two teams will be fearing, you know, losing this game too much. Um, but they don't want to lose it too badly either. They both want to win it and really set that marker for the tournament. Do you agree with Christy that the, the All Blacks might just be edging favouritism for it with those injuries, injury announcements, despite what happened last week against the Springboks? Yeah, definitely. I think um, the, the one difference, I guess, with this French team is that we've noticed in the past couple of years, it's, it's got a lot more depth than, than previous times and they are more consistent. Let's face it, France have always been very inconsistent, brilliant at their best and at their worst, um, you know, really, really wanting sometimes. But um, we just haven't seen that. And I think, um, yeah, what a cracking opening match. This will just be really special. Uh, they, Springboks certainly didn't do Le Bleu any favours um, in uh, in terms of um, <laughs> pounding the All Blacks at, at Twickenham. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what plays out. Christy, on the balance of looking at the two packs here, I mean, clearly the French scrum last week, as we spoke on Monday, will be a concern for Fabian Galti, the way that the Wallabies were able to uh, assert dominance up front and and both uh, Slipper, sorry, not Slipper, Angus Bell and, and Taniela Tupu winning a penalty each. But uh, across the rest of their pack, I mean, Gregory Aldry, um, you know, these other guys, Willemsa, Wokey coming off the bench, Cyril Bai, you mentioned, Olivon, um, Jalonka, we saw down here with that interesting uh, tackle, feigning injury from Marika Corombetti, um, Antonio up front in the front row. Uh, this is a pack that is really strong around the paddock in particular. Their size, um, their physicality, uh, and we sure we saw that they've uh, got the ability to pinch line out balls as well. So, I mean, looking that against the All Blacks pack, who've got some injury concerns, clearly uh, in the second row. Um, although Scott Barrett will be available after his disciplinary hearing on Monday, um, do you just look at this one as the the French might shade them up front, despite those struggles they had at scrum time? Yeah, it'll be very interesting that 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 battle. I don't know if I see it clear winner necessarily because you see the All Blacks last weekend they got beaten up front in the scrum as well uh, and and as, as Tyro Lomax I think that'll be maybe in doubt for the first game with that massive dash that he got as well so they, they've got some some issues that it's not like they're going into a World Cup and they've got the Franks brothers you know Jay Moody has neither been selected which I, I thought was a, a surprising one even though he was likely to be fit in the very early stages of this tournament uh couple of injuries throughout this this year's campaign. I I I think the I think the All Blacks maybe just shade their pack overall. I still think any pack that has Sam Whitelock, I think the best player of the last ten years, 
um, that that guy knows how to win, and and that's why I think that I just put them on that pedestal. At the moment, the France, there'll be some early jitters. There'll be some nerves. And if they get through this one, uh, fair play to them. You tip your hat. But hosting a tournament, there's a lot of expectation that will run number one not long ago. But you're right to point out some of those guys. Big William so he's a, he's a bit, bit like Will Skelton-esque almost. Yep. Uh, and Gregory Altrick is probably he's up there with Artie Severo as being two of the best loose forwards in the world at the moment. So there's there's nothing between them. Wokey off the bench, whether or not he starts, but he's a he's a quality player as well. So that probably gives them maybe an edge off the bench. Uh, and that's probably the differences between all, all the sides at the moment is the, who's got the best depth, who can bring on the, the, you know, the bomb pack, so to speak, the bomb squad like a, a Springboks can. There's not too many other nations. LP, how important for Matthew Jalabert to get that game against the Wallabies last Sunday? We know Raman Intermac is a massive out given he and Antoine Dupont have, have formed that partnership both at uh, top 14 level for, for Toulouse and then uh, with France clearly over the past few years. Um, Jalabert, uh, look, a, a fair player in his own right, came down here with the French last year. We saw him, um, was was pretty solid throughout. And, of course, Thomas Ramos at the back as well, kicking goals. Um, he'd be right up there with uh, with among the the most consistent goalkeepers in the world, wouldn't he? Absolutely. These um these players have developed really well in the past couple of years, and that's given France that consistency that we haven't seen in the past. Uh, I think, guys, one thing to sadly we have to consider is is the referee uh, in this game, and and you know it could set the tone for the tournament in terms of how this is refereed, and we saw how many cards have come out in these warm up games. Um, New Zealand, who would have thought they would have been stung with so much discipline? They're usually so well disciplined, but um, yeah, it's. Um, I think we're sadly in for a few shocks there in terms of how that will turn the game early on. So this could be the opening, I guess, entree to that. Do you think? I guess for both sides, Christy, would they prefer to play, say, Ireland or Scotland rather than the Springboks um, in that quarterfinal? So. I mean, look, it's you know, it's risky business tri- tipping any results in these first two pools A and B. But um, let's say the Springboks finish top of Pool B, and we'll come to that shortly. Um, it probably makes you know winning this game next next Friday night hugely important because I I just feel that potentially France and although pointed out on social media this afternoon that the the one team that actually has given France consistent headaches has has been Scotland as well. Yeah, but you look often when France have played Scotland and Six Nations and something, and a lot of the time it's been towards the back end of tournaments or maybe the last game where there's not as much riding on it. But yeah, that, that's it was an interesting start that was doing the rounds. I think if you're, you'd prefer to play Ireland, wouldn't you? Like Ireland or Scotland. Ireland's never progressed out of a quarterfinal. And and that is their big, oh, you're just hanging over them. And they... Oh, it's not going to be an easy one for them, and if they get bad, if they were to be, you know, knocked out at at the quarterfinal stage against a, a New Zealand or or a France, you go fair enough. But overall, history continues to suggest that you're in trouble. Um, oh, South Africa's depth is the one, to, you know, and they and they and their type five just scare you. The fact that Dwan Vermeulen is still going around, he, you know, I put Whitelock at the top. I reckon. In terms of influential forwards of the last ten years, uh, Vermeulen is just underneath him. He's been a 
powerful man that you wouldn't want to come across in the streets for sure. Whereas that white likes that grizzly bear, I think. Um, either way, it's a tough quarterfinal, but I think you, you'd prefer to come up against an island or a Scotland. We can't discount the fact that it could be a shock, you know. In that pool B, it's not just Scotland. Like Ponga is a side that if you're not there, they they'll give you a scare. I've just got that feeling. Oh, there could be one or two upsets. We've seen it in the last couple of campaigns. Is it going to be in pool B? Who knows? Yeah, we need to ask France about that in 2011. Um, you know, eventual finalists losing to Tonga in the pool matches. Yeah, yeah, as a brush out, and obviously as well in, in 2015 when, when Japan knocked off South Africa. So these things can happen. And that's certainly what Italy will be banking on, guys. Look, um, I've got a feeling they're going to give one of these two teams a decent run for certainly 40 minutes. It, it may well be France, given that familiarity of playing against them in the Six Nations. Um, they're a team on the improve, and we've seen that clearly in the last 12 to 18 months, of course, ending there. 37-game winless streak, I think it was, in the Six Nations, away to Wales, and and what a moment that was. Um, and then last year, of course, beating the Wallabies in, in Florence, albeit a, a you know a fairly understrength Wallabies who then had a kick to win it after full time. But they're, they're wins regardless, and they're two big results for this team, which you know for so long has been kicked from pillar to post and had its Six Nations spot discussed and whether they belong there and... They're just starting to see the signs of some pathways development. Their under-20s team, um, of course, had the big victory over, I think it was South Africa uh, this year. Uh, South Africa or Argentina, one of the two was all over because Georgia also had a win in that pool. And they're a team that I, I think is going to get better in the, in, in the coming years. So, uh, look, I, I can't see them winning either of these two games against New Zealand or uh, France. I think they'll beat Euro- Uruguay and Namibia comfortably but there's some players in this team uh Lorenzo Canone, Lamaro and then of course Ange Caputzo who has been central to those two big wins last year against Wales and and Australia uh the IRB I think breakthrough player of the year sorry world rugby breakthrough player of the year for 2022 um he's going to light up this tournament if he gets the opportunity isn't he Christy? Oh, he's the most scintillating young player going around I love it I, I think he's been the breath of fresh air that Australia's loved watching from afar because I just wish I was at some of those Six Nations games where you can see him light up and do his study stuff. Uh, he He's a guy that makes things happen. He's a marvellous fullback, glides, weaves, uh, and he sets up people around him. And in many ways, you know, Tom Wright's got a couple of those sorts of characteristics in his game, but it's the thing that puts a such a young player has had such a such a big rise and you're right to say that he's central to their their plans if he can stay fit he's obviously missed a fair bit of rugby this year if he can stay fit then then he's a threat that will have everyone on their toes for sure yeah. the other interesting one there as well is, is the change in coaches and it's not been kind of discussed as much as otherwise but when kieran crowley left the well that that kind of there was a, there was a, oh, he's a bit of a surprise, sorry, that he's, you know, the, the, the disruption there, that he's not going to be necessarily there, what, from the end of this campaign. And that was a, that was a weird announcement. That wasn't that long ago from, from Italy's saying that their coach would be no longer going to be there, considering the rise that they've had off the back of only having a couple of 
professional sides with uh, what is it, Treviso and Benetton. I don't. So they've had a, a steady rise right throughout uh, Europe's competition now, and and which in course involves South Africa. That's the other thing you talk about cohesion. They're starting to get that because a lot of their players are playing together. LP, can you see the French getting a little bit jumpy in that final game in Lyon of their pool campaign if they do happen to lose this one in New Zealand next weekend? Um, Italy could be playing for you know their survival, the game of their lives. Um, any chance of that unfolding, do you think, in pool A? Ed, hey, I, look, I think we've covered that New Zealand and France, really, it's, it's in what order they progress to the knockout stage. But Italy, for their part, just really have to tie up third position and ensure qualification for, you know, next tournament. They just, that, that's got to be their goal, really. Um, so, so yeah, beyond that, it'd be a bit lofty to expect, uh, particularly if, if France um, do, do lose that opening match. They'll just be fiercely hungry to make sure they make that knockout stage they don't want to uh emulate england as as a host nation and and be out too early of their own tournament and uh uruguay and namibia i mean this is the game these two teams will have been set setting themselves for also in leon um look i i think you've got to go with uruguay here uh, of course the biggest win in their history over fiji in japan four years ago straight off the bat um, a name that stands out, obviously, among the Namibians for Australian fans will be Richard Hardwick, who was having a cracking season with the Melbourne Rebels, wasn't he? And um, look, uh, you, you want to see these two teams in their other pool games at least be yeah, reasonable opposition. I think the All Blacks might have put 60-odd on or 70 points on Namibia last time in, in Japan. I was at that game. Um, Uruguay, you know, it's a bit of a bit of momentum behind South American rugby at the moment, isn't there, with with Chile clearly uh, qualifying for their first tournament. But um, look, these are the kind of games you want to kick back and watch and, and just enjoy for what they are. You know, two teams looking to create a bit of history, well, certainly in Namibia's case, and, and Uruguay looking to continue what they did a few years ago and should be a really enjoyable fixture. Loving these games. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think over time, it, just through the history of World Cup, you've seen back in the the, the cricket scores that used to happen and in, in the old World Cups are just not there anymore. These teams have really come up the rankings. And um, I, there's so many in the last three tournaments in particular, some of these games have been produced some of the most memorable moments just from, from a crowd atmosphere perspective, et cetera. So, um, yeah, look, I'm really looking forward to some of these uh, so-called games. You, you're right to highlight that one from 2019, Bruce. Was that... Where, where was that game? Was that at Kamashi? Or? I think it might have been, mate. Yeah, yeah. And I was actually, I was had to cover it for, I wasn't at it, but I was on uh, on the desk for it. And I had to go to, would you believe, a Japanese Hooters to watch that game to cover it because... Um, That's a revelation. Isn't it just? Yeah, on a, on a, on a, I think it was about a, oh, what a bit of Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock or something. And um, yes, it was, it was something a little bit different, um, but um, that was the only place I could find it on because... The, uh, the broadcast was so obscure in Japan. It was also across about three channels and not all the games were on the, the host or the, the local free-to-air broadcaster. J-Sports had them all and I had to go and find somewhere with J-Sports and that's where I wound up. So a um, little bit of World Cup history there for, for everyone on my part. Um, <laughs> and it is. Take it you didn't need the volume for that one. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, pool B, gents, uh, of course. Look, I probably haven't seen a, a pool like it since... I guess 2015 when Australia, England and Wales were 
were grouped together. Um, but Fiji. I, and Fiji as well. But I don't think we've had sort of the, what have we got now? The, the first and second and fifth teams ranked together. Oh, sorry, pulled together. Um, let's start with Ireland. And the big outlier here is, is Johnny Sexton, isn't it? You know, coming back into this team after that suspension. Um, I don't think Lace to boot after the Six Nations in the end. Um, so he's coming in fairly cold, but is that a good thing considering the the battering that his body's taken over the years and his head knocks, etc. Um, and just to make the Irish a little bit nervous, they, of course, everyone knows they've never been past a quarterfinal. Um, they get a bit of a scare from Samoa and beyond last weekend, albeit without a few frontline stars. Um, but this has got to, surely this is the tournament where Ireland shake themselves free of this tag and, and show, you know, I, I guess come good uh, on, on what they've been in this cycle, the most dominant team um, playing a brand of rugby that just works so well is so fluid under, under Andy Farrell and LP. Um, look, I, I, for, you know, the Irish out there, there'll be a heap of them in France, I'm sure. Um, but you can't but help but thinking they'll still be a little bit nervous. They'll absolutely have the jitters, but I, I guess, you know, in the past couple of years, we've seen that they've been able to produce at the, at the highest level. I think the biggest um, question with them will be holding that consistency for big matches over an extended period. We know they can string it together for two big matches in a Six Nations Championship, but, you know, they're coming with two big pool games here, then into a big quarterfinal. Um, if you speak to folks in Ireland, they're quite nervous about the fact they need to string together four or five big performances to uh, to go all the way here, which is uncharted territory for what, even in, while they've been at the top of the game, they haven't played, you know, consistently big games over an extended period. So that that, that makes them particularly jittery, I think. Christy, uh, of course, lost Keen Healy in the weekend to injury, which was a late blow. But you, you go through this team, I mean, you know, from the top, Finley Beetham, Todd Byrne, uh, Caelan Doris, Furlong, Henderson, um, you know, James Ryan up front, Peter Romani's been there for so long, World Player of the Year, uh, Josh van der Fleer in the backs, they've got Bundy Key, you know, Jamison Gibson-Park, one of the key, the naturalised Kiwis, Mac Hansen, we've spoken a lot about on this podcast, Robbie Hanchoy, Hugo Keenan at the back, James Lowe on the other wing, all outside of Sexton, who's, you know, steering the ship, um, this, this is the deepest squad they've ever had. Uh, it's got multiple world-class players. Um, they've really got no excuse not to deliver, have they? No, they've got, they've got no excuse. I think one thing that holds them in good stead is in the recent years, they've managed to, you know, uh, go down to New Zealand, beat the All Blacks in New Zealand. Then they've managed to seal uh, a Six Nations Grand Slam at home in Dublin and what a memorable day that is. So if you talk about pressured events and pressured situations that handled it, and uh, more recently, Leinster showed, uh, uh without getting past the semi-final, uh, losing the final of the European Championship Cup to La Rochelle. Generally speaking, it's big physical packs that come after them. And that's probably, maybe a year ago, we might have been concerned about the depth of 10 if Johnny Sexton wasn't there. But, with him missing a couple of matches, has given opportunities to else to, to other people who they've now started to find their feet. Right, I still sure, think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I start to, I just feel like Ireland is is a little bit vulnerable up front in that tight five. I think they've got a great back row, but going after someone, you're going up 
after the up front and yeah, like they're one of the most penalised kind of scrums out there. I think it's border that's uh, that's that, that often goes down. You, those sorts of sides will be uh, particularly, particularly the Springboks will be going after them. But uh, that that is like the last weekend. I'm pretty sure where Ireland's coming up against Scotland in Paris, yep. and that match is just going to be. There's going to be so much riding on that that. Uh, Ireland's going to have to deal with these nerves for a long, long time, getting this right through. But potentially the good thing is that they won't have to look too far ahead to that quarterfinal because they'll have that big blockbuster game against Scotland and then straight into it a week later, they'll have a quarterfinal should they progress that far. That means that unlike other teams, like in New Zealand or France, they're, they're pretty much looking at that quarterfinal right from... You know, beyond the first weekend of, of of the World Cup, which is what the eighth, the ninth is of uh, September, so they'll have five weeks to prepare for a quarterfinal. Is that a good thing for an like? Would that be a good thing for an Irish side that hasn't gone past? I don't know if it would. Good point about the um, you know, going to New Zealand, winning down there, etc. I think they've got a little bit of a whiff of England two thousand and three about them. I they, England that England team in two thousand and three dominated. You know, 18 months to two years leading up to that tournament, there's a lot of chat around, well, have they peaked too early, et cetera. Similar kind of situation with Ireland. But, um, yeah, you mentioned there are a lot of depth. The tight five, there are concerns definitely. But, um, yeah, if they can they can get the ball out um, to some of those backs, it, yeah, that this could be the moment for the Irish. Before we go on, though, Brucey, Hugo Keenan, he, he's probably my favourite fullback going around at the moment. He's just, he just makes the right decision all the time. And safe as houses, quality player, he's the glue that brings them all together. Shout out to Hugo Keenan. Yeah, it was fantastic in New Zealand last year. He's great in the air. Uh, it scored a really good try against France during the Six Nations this year from memory as well. So, uh, yeah, plenty to like about the Irish. Um, the Springboks, gents, look, uh, you're looking for World Cup uh, statement performances in the build-up and we certainly got one uh, Friday night at, at Twickenham last weekend. Uh, look, just obliterated the All Blacks. Um, we've spoken a little bit about the 7-1 split and hasn't that kicked off this week with uh, Australian Matt Williams. Um, probably not the most uh, respected pundit around the world, I wouldn't say. Um, causing a bit of a stir with saying it's bad for rugby, which, you know, there may be some merit in that, particularly the way, you know, the game is going with concussion and we're not going to get into that now. But it's certainly within the laws at the moment. You can comprise your bench however you wish to do so. And I say fair play to them while, while ever that's the case. And that's what they've got, haven't they? They've got depth up front. They've got these incredibly physical, big humans. Uh, the bomb squad we all know about. The, the ability to change their front row in and out as they please. Uh, they've got Sean, Jean Klein coming back with a bit of depth now at lock. Um, and they're all behind this inspirational figure of Sia Khaleesi who has just, you know, become, uh, I don't know if he could be even more revered uh, after what he did in, in 2019 and the story with Rassi and the, the documentary that a lot of people will have seen. And then he comes out, has a partial ACL tear this year. Everyone thinks his World Cup's done. And he gets back before the tournament. And if anyone saw against Wales or even the weekend against the All Blacks, uh, you know, he doesn't look like he's missed a beat at all. LP, he's he's a, you know, a Herculean figure in South African rugby now, isn't he? Absolutely, and uh, look, the new beast for them, I guess. <laughs> he, um, uh, what, just a, a character, but like guys, like, do we think 
you know, it'll be interesting how they play him. Uh, is he fully fit? Like, how, how does this injury flare up two or three games in? Um, I, I don't know, but like, yeah, he certainly doesn't look like he's missed a beat. Um, but, but, but yeah, you've, um, the question begs, you just want him around that squad anyway, for, for the character that he is, um, regardless of, um, whether he's, you know, hundred percent fit, but I'd say as a player, you'd take him at 70 or 80% how much influence he can have. Christy, is there a weakness in this Springs box squad? At all, obviously, Andre Pollard isn't there. Uh, there's been a lot of talk around money, the box, goal kicking. Um, that was slightly better on the weekends. Uh, I mean, elsewhere, look, they've got speed and power in the back line. Uh, Andre Esterhausen's probably pushing for a starting spot now, isn't he, at number 12 there? And just his crash ball ability. Um, and then, obviously, you've got Diolande and, and Jesse Creel as well. The four halfbacks we spoke about when they chose their side the other week was slightly... Interesting, but um, I mean, is, is there a weakness in this Springbok squad? I think you have to go. It's somewhat unproven at ten, like despite the fact that the box have a good, very, very good start to his test career. And I think the four nines is a is a curious one. Are they as settled? I don't think they've been in as cohesive in their back line. That's possibly an aspect as well. Um, Oh, I think there's there's some vulnerabilities in that back line that haven't been quite exposed because of their forward pack, how strong it is. I'm going to get a glass of water, though, because uh, my, my voice is going at this early stage. No still French coffee yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll hold the fort, Christy, and, until you get back. Um, LP, Cheslin Colby was clearly a star of uh, the World Cup there in, in 2019. We mentioned him earlier in that game against... Uh, the All Blacks, he scored, uh, I guess, the match sealer in the final two against England, didn't he? Beating a couple of tired English forwards down that right touchline. He's had his injuries, troubles, had his club troubles as well throughout this period. And and now he's getting some pressure on him as well with uh, Kurt Lee, uh, Aaron Sir and um, and Kanan Moody. He's the one. I, he's going to be my breakout star of this tournament. Um, we saw what he did in, against the Wallabies in Sydney last year. Uh, moved to outside centre last uh, Friday night against the All Blacks. Proved that he's he's no slouch there either. Um, I think 20 years of age. He's going to be around for a long time and um, he's got the ability to break this tournament open, I think. Yeah, Colby is uh, absolutely game-breaking. I think the depth that Christy spoke to before about the box is is really what gives him the edge here, the, the bomb squad, which we've obviously spoken about, but the blend of having also some some journeymen um uh christy also spoke about Dwayne vermeulen i mean you can't underestimate that and i think managing someone like that and not probably only playing in maybe two pool games at at at, at the most probably the two big ones um and then give him a good rest for the the business end of the tournament i think that's going to be really important you want those stalwarts in there amongst the sort of Khaleesi influence etc They've just got the perfect balance, Brucey, I think, between, you know, physicality, big groups and, like, huge, huge people of the world and then the life-wise out wide. Oh, I love some of that balance of what they've done. So I think that, that that no opposition side that I've really been able to see recently, and we spoke just before about is there a weakness, some of those outside backs are very, very short. You look at what the Wallabies did against France on the weekend and, and probably the other positive other than the scrum was what was their aerial raids out wide. But when you've got a, 
But teams have got to mark Nwangan Eduasi or Vunavalu or Jordan Pattaya. And, of course, other teams throughout the world have tall, tall outside backs. You, you've got to be targeting that, those people in the air. But that comes back to territory, where you guys can set up, etc., etc. So yeah, there are some things that, that opposition sides would be looking at. Um, beating at the scrum, that's probably not one, but you want to come away there as, as best as possible. Certainly do, yeah, I, I agree. I think the the one, you know, uh, question mark is around that number 10. And um, there was a bit of speculation that Pollard may come in on that final day before the squads were named, but it didn't uh, eventuate. So we shall see. Scotland, gents, um, look, I'm really pleased for the Scots uh, and their, what they've, um, I guess, not achieved in the last couple of years, but the growth in their team, uh, the style of rugby they're playing under Gregor Townsend. Great to see Finn Russell and, and Gregor patch up that relationship at last because he's too good of a player and too, you know, stylish. He's got that X factor fin about him that you want to see him playing at the highest level. So great that, that he's going to be steering the ship. Um, Stuart Holgo, of course, the, the big retirement in the build-up, um, but they've got uh, young uh, Blair Kinghorn doing such a fine job and and the centres. Oh, I really love this centre pairing, uh, Tui Paluto. Sorry, the, the former Rebels. Player and, and Hugh Jones, I got because they call it uh, Huey Paluto, don't they? The Scots uh, in terms of the partnership. So um, Sione Tui Paluto, uh, I got there at the end. Uh, they've got a really good combination, haven't they? We've seen a lot of those little kicks in behind from Tui Paluto for Jones. Uh, the no look pass where he, or sorry, he looks to go out the back and and place uh, at the line. Um, and then up front, uh, Jack Dempsey, another Australian. Uh, having switched over in, in recent years, seems to have won that number eight position. Jamie Ritchie, really well led by the captain on the side of the scrum. Um, it's just a shame they've landed in this pool, I think, on this time, time around, because I think they can give one of these teams, one of either Ireland or Scotland, a, a good run, and, and certainly it's going to be tough against a, a, a fresh South African uh, team straight up. Um I think they'll they'll be in that match, but I think they're they're more of a chance of springing the upset against against Ireland, Christy. Yeah, but let's not forget. I don't think Australia was the favourite to top that pool in 2015 either, and they came out and managed to to go unbeaten throughout that period. So I, I, I'm not ruling out Scotland by any stretch of the imaginations. They'll probably enjoy the fact that they are the underdogs coming into this one. There's 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 and little expectation on them internally, of course, there would be. Oh, they've got a they've got a, a well balanced team, and yeah, it's a it's to you know the Hamish Watsons of the world. Always been a big fan of his, but I like what they do in the halves. They're probably the most creative uh, backline going around in the world at the moment, and and they can score points. We know that. So if they if they bring that physicality, then they're always a chance. Um, Van der Merve at wide, uh, like he he's just quality, a British and Irish line, of course, but he just gets better and better and better. And yeah, that midfield, you, that works beautifully throughout the Six Nations at times, but all the way through with with them, we saw them push the All Blacks last year, I think in November it was. Their consistency is their Achilles heel. Uh, and, and if they can get that right, uh, throughout a World Cup campaign there, there's certainly a chance, but it's consistency because they were being talked up as potentially breaking that big Six Nations drought after their couple of wins to start the campaign this year, and then they fell off a little bit. So, yeah, watch out for that. 
LP's belief, potentially a bit of an issue for this Scotland team as well. I'm sure they'll have been working around the clock with mindset coaches and, you know, psychologists and all the other extended coaching units that we have uh, in the modern game today. But uh, you kind of feel like if there's plenty of other teams that the Scots would have had have been the Wallabies or England or Wales, they would have really gone into the pool thinking, yeah, we're a, we're a red hot show here. There's just, is there a little bit of nagging doubt in this team that these are two nations that they've really struggled with uh, in recent times. Ireland did a number on them easily in the last World Cup, even when they weren't playing that well. And, and South Africa, just the sheer size, I think, is the worry. Uh, for the Scots against the Springboks up front. I, I just feel that they may get monstered uh, through the forwards. Yeah, fair call. Cool. I think the, the game that they want to target is is, is Ireland, really. And uh, I think they're an absolute chance. The thing, um, we, we know this Scotland team has has some a decent amount of points in them. They're not just kicking goals, they're scoring tries. So um, I it's it's really, this, this pool's so interesting for the fact that Ireland's early form will be such an indicator as to how things may play out because they may not progress from the pool and and you know from the lofty heights that they were they've been at for number one in the world etc in recent times they may not get out of this group and Scotland could be the ones that uh, prevent them doing that so um, yeah I, I think uh, yeah old former Wallaby Jack Dempsey's he's been playing some decent games in the warm ups as well so you know they're well poised. Oh, gents, we, we mentioned it off the top. Um, they're the, I guess, the outlier in this group. Uh, have they got an upset in them? We've seen it before in 2011 against France. Um, of course, bolstered by this change in world rugby eligibility uh, that happened, I think, two years ago now. Um, no Israel Folau, of course, but um, a number of guys, uh, Adam Coleman, Vifa Feeder, um, clearly Charles Piatau, um, George Moala will miss four games, sorry, three of the four pool games through that lifting tackle suspension, unfortunately. Um, but some other names in there, Augie Pulu and Solomon Ikata. Fekatoa is the other big one through that eligibility change, isn't he? Um, I feel like they've got one really good go in them, Tonga, whether it comes against South Africa, Scotland or Ireland for that big upset. I think they'll they'll do a number on Romania without too much trouble, but... Um, I think in one of those three games, a team is going to get a really big scare. It feels like they're yeah. probably going to target. Um, Tonga would target Scotland. I mean, as much as we could say Scotland could be a chance at upsetting Ireland, the, the consistency will be an issue because they could come out and beat Ireland and then go and lose to Tonga. That you know, which should make things very interesting. But um, but but yeah, they they always turn up. They've always turned up in the last uh, last couple of tournaments. So interesting to see what plays out but well, i spoke to um i spoke to Tyler kefu about a week ago and, and i think the morning before we both flew out to europe in fact and he he said look we, we need to get one we need to get one scalp and that probably represents success and you, you get that feeling don't you you know just everyone goes out to win the world cup but their world cup is probably winning a big game or two yep. it all means different things doesn't it and i think you, you go through the list of players you just mentioned, and there is some quality there. And the World Rugby laws and the, the overhaul of, of that law has meant that they now very much stand a chance of being able to do that. But the loss of Israel Folau's immense, George Moala, they, they've got a couple of their big guys first up. They're two crushing blows on the eve of the World Cup. And you can understand why they fought quite hard to try to overturn that. But 
that's a shame. And, and you know, he really paid the price for a clumsy tackle, did Mawala, but a former All Black and clearly Falau's presence, his big match ability, uh, his try scoring prowess will be will be hugely lost. But Malachi Fekitoa, probably the most underrated player for the All Blacks during that 2015 campaign. And, and I can just see him having a great influence, really reigniting really his international career. Welcome back. It's great to see him here. Yeah, Scotland and Tonga are on the 25th of September um, in Nice. So that third weekend of pool play will be one to keep an eye on. Gents, I don't think we need to spend too much time on Romania. Look, reasonably fortunate to be there um, after the Spanish dramas during uh, the Rugby Europe uh, 2 qualifiers um they the result of that and, and also russia obviously being kicked out but we would all 100 percent agree with that one um good luck to romania getting within i would say 70 points of the springboks and islands and maybe 60 of scotland and 50 of tonga um she's going to be a hard old slog for the europeans full speed they might need us they might need a squad of more than 33 because seriously, there's going to be some battered and bruised bodies there. I think they should have 40, to be honest, but uh, maybe it'd be disingenuous. They might have a good first half in them. A Romania-Ireland match at Gosford in 2003, guys, turning back the clock again for these these games that surprise you. That was one in 2003 that was an amazing performance from Romania, that, that first half. Um, uh, the... Uh, Irish legend Keith Wood, I think, scored a hat trick in that in that game. It was a really memorable game. Uh, Romania stood up for forty minutes, but this this is the thing you, you know you want them to go at least an hour, a bit longer, to to be competitive. It doesn't look that way this time around. And that's the kind of insights you get in the complete Rugby World Cup history, brought to you by Lance Petty. Um, Paul Paul C. Uh, look, gents, um, blown wide open. You'd have to say, right? Um, Wales clearly uh, the top seed when the draw was done. Australia in that second pot. Uh, Fiji, Georgia, and of course, uh, who am I forgetting here? Portugal, um, who Australia A played last week and had a really good battle with, as Christy uh, informed us on Monday uh, for 40 minutes. Um, look, uh, it's, a, it's a big opening to this pool, isn't it? Uh, particularly with Fiji, who go in as the highest ranked nation. Uh, let's let's start with them. Um just the turnaround, well, not turnaround, but the development in their game, uh, which has been helped through the Fijian Drews we were talking about uh, on Monday's pod. Uh, Simon Robolui returning as coach. And then you bring in these guys um, who are, you know, genuinely world-class uh, in, in the back line in particular. And um, uh, who have we got here? Uh, of course, um, uh, I'm having an absolute mess. semi Rodrada for the start. Um and Bosi, who, you know, cut his teeth with the drawer and then headed off overseas, has done really well. Nola Kavuki, I'm um, sorry I'm not going to get all these right. Um, you know, there's uh, there's talent. Uh, Ratu Vamanda, um, look, uh, look, it, it's just a, a talented squad on the back line, isn't it? Tui Sober's the big one. Um, and then some guys that have come through uh, at the drawer, um, the hooker, Kanavere and Darren Alangi and um, Mira Mira, uh, Look, it's they're the highest ranked team, Christy. But do you think they start favourites for this pool? I don't. I don't think they start favourites, but that they'll give it a real shake. I think that first match is going to be crucial for them, isn't it? If they can come out of the blocks and beat Wales, knock them off, people are expecting them to do, which for the first time in a 
made the perhaps their history at World Cups. They're expected to to do well to win a, their opening game against a, a powerhouse in Wales, a side that's been Six Nations champions half a dozen times basically in the last 12, 13 years. Uh, I think I think Fiji can push. Well, I think they'll I think they'll beat Wales, and I think that sets it up for a very nervy match for Australia in this in the second game too, and. Maybe I'm putting the the cap before the horse here with the with the Australians, but I think this is all tangled, in, isn't it? Like Georgia's ranked level eleventh, and you know that's not you can't um, you can't simply roll out a second string side against them because they're going to be formidable themselves at, at times. So you know the only one there really probably right at the end is, is against Portugal, where he's probably about that wrapped up. But nonetheless, points differential could come into uh, effect there. I think it's if you, it's it's basically if you go head to head if you're on the same points. But then if there's three sides that have been knocked off, like then you know they've all suffered a defeat, then then points differential comes into it. So there's going to be some huge ones here. But what about the stories? Like speaking to Brad Harris, who's the Fijian. Um, assistant coach there and he supported Mick Byrne throughout the year he, he won a gold medal with the Fijian seven side um you know in, in Tokyo he was telling me just the other week around you know, going back to semi Rodriguez's place where it took them 28 hours to get from a you know plane to tr- uh, buses boats to get to this really remote part of Fiji and, and they for an entire week they just spent uh, you know, sleeping on this big hall where they've got a tiny little mattress and they're getting fed by the village and it was all about connecting all about connecting with and becoming what's Fijian again because we know that there's a lot of Fijians that play in France and other parts of the world he was a moment and not just a moment a week to come together and we've seen that unity haven't we they've won four out of their last five going into this they'll be confident uh but starting strong is an important thing. And if they can do that, wow, this World Cup campaign could really blow open for them. LP Australia, it hasn't clearly been the ideal build-up. It hasn't even been close to the ideal build-up under Eddie Jones, 0-5. Um, I think I did today around about 35 points average being uh, conceded uh, defensively through that period. Um, the, the, we all know the emissions, the high profile emissions from Eddie's squad, Naomi, he's along the way, Alatoa, uh, springs to mind. Um, look, it, it's been a, a virtually a terrible buildup. What gives you confidence or at least hope? Let's put it as hope that things might be about to turn around. Um, Georgia is probably a really good game. I think to get at this point in time, because as Christy said, it's not going to be a pushover. They stuck it to Scotland last week and led them 6-5, I think, at, at halftime. Um, it was a fairly low-scoring game in that typhoon in Japan four years ago, maybe 28-7 or something around that margin. It's going to be a really good hit-out and what they need without absolutely, you know, coming up against Fiji first and having that physicality. It will prepare them nicely for that Week 2 game against Fiji, which, as we were just saying, is going to be massive. Um what, what have you seen from the Wallabies, perhaps in that game against France or in Bledisloe too, that, um, you know, maybe we should believe, Eddie, that uh, he's seeing some stuff that uh, gives the nation hope that Australia uh, aren't just quarterfinalists, but maybe even semifinalists? Look, Bledisloe too gave us the most hope for, for sure, um, certainly doing it over in New Zealand and, and getting that close. But um, 
oh, I think our best friend in this whole equation is the draw. Um, like you said, it um, Georgia is a perfect build-up uh, for Fiji, and we know like Fiji are not going to be the 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 Fiji of old 50, 60 minute team where they just fall away in that last quarter. It's just not going to happen anymore. The professionalism that's come into the game over there now with the Drua um, and the players down in France that's it will across Europe, scattered across Europe. It's a it's a great blend. Um, and Nick Byrne are doing some great things. So I think that they they could top this pool, Fiji. Um, and a, a, that then just it's Australia and, and Wales fighting it out for second. So, um, which, which makes it really interesting. Um, like I said, I think the draws out probably Australia's best friend, but, um, I, I feel like the pack is, is in pretty good shape for, for a few new faces, um, uh, that are showing. And I, I think a player like, um, Callaway could really stamp his mark, uh, in the back line as well. So I'm looking for that. I think Kurabetti is going to be a, a well-marked man, but, It'll be all about him trying to pop up where no one expects, which is where he does his best stuff. But, um, but yeah, look, I, 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 we could not have a better draw. Uh, but this, let's face it, this this pool, guys, is the weakest pool in the tournament. Um, and hopefully, uh, I guess from Australians' perspective, they can find some form in those pool games for for the business end of the tournament. Yeah, I, I don't disagree, Lance. I think uh, the Wallabies will be counting their lucky stars. You never quite know what's going to happen at, at, at World Cup draws and what's going to happen two years down the road. Well, we've got to remember this draw was taking place, I think it was December 2020 when it happened. And it was funny at the time, uh, Eddie Jones, I think, <clears throat> appeared on a podcast shortly after. I was doing a little bit of synopsis of it, of course, as the England coach. And he was asked, who do you think is a dark horse at this this World Cup, and he said, Fiji, if Fiji can get their house in order and get a high-performance program going, I think they'll shock a few. Well, now Eddie Jones is uh, not just going to be watching from another pool, he's actually in that pool, and it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Um, uh, oh, I think I think Fiji will, will certainly push Australia. I think the fact that Australians can play both structured and unstructured rugby will help them, I think, a little bit. Fiji have clearly got better at that over the years. Um, Raul Lewis been driving that home, as has uh, the entire coaching structure team. Um, Tara Gibson being there as well. We can't forget his long tenure with the Waratahs. The Wallabies, I think, are... They they realistically should be making a minimum of a quarterfinal, despite their horror campaign today. Zero and five, as Bruce has mentioned, but goal kicking is going to be a crucial one. We've, we've seen that that Carter Gordon struggled. Uh, he struck the ball all right, hasn't he? But he hasn't been able to land them. Only a couple from the sideline under under the roof in Dunedin. Uh, I think they've got a forward pack that can their back five of their forward pack particularly um, two world class front rollers, but. Beyond that, not not a huge amount. So we speak about the depth of the other nations like South Africa. Australia doesn't have that, but if they can keep those guys together, they, they should be all right. Australia had a really good record against Wales under Warren Gatland, at least until that uh, pool game in Japan four years ago, which was fairly dramatic when you think back to the Samakarevi incident and a couple of other calls in that one, but probably Wales the better team on the, on the balance of, of that 80 minutes. Um, Look, it's an interesting squad that he, uh, Gatlin's gone from. It's a bit of a blend of the old and the new. Of course, there's no Alan Wynne-Jones, um, 
but you've still got in there clearly, uh, you know, half penny and uh, and Anscom, uh, naturalised Kiwi for so long now, uh, steering the show. Dan Biggers, um, Lewis Rees, Samet, the you know part of this next generation. Tane Basham, um, Jack Morgan, and and Dewey Lake, the the new co-captain. So um, it's a bit of a blend of the old and you're not unlike the the Wallabies, I guess, too, from from Warren Gatland, who has come in um, virtually at the same time when Pivac got the got the sack. Uh, when Jones did late last year as well for, with England. So um, I don't think there's going to be any surprises with how they'll play Wales. It was a fairly, you know, uh, prescribed kind of setup from from Gatlin, wasn't it? Uh, you knew what to expect. Um, they'll, they'll be tough to beat. That's one thing. Um, they're not going to give away too many um, opportunities to you. The, the box clearly uh, ran right against them the other week, but the, the Wallabies and, and Fiji maybe don't have that that power game that to, to get through them like, the Springboks did. Um, uh, I, 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 I can see a situation where Wales, Australia and Fiji take a game uh, off each other in this one and it may well come down to bonus points and, and for and against and, and everything else. So it makes for, a, as we said, a, a thrilling first week with Fiji's back-to-back games and then a huge game, the Wallabies and Leon uh, on the third weekend of play. Um, it, look, it's uh, it'll be a brave man to go out and put the, put the mortgage on uh, one team for out of Wales, Australia, or Fiji topping this one, Christy? Yeah, yeah. With that being said, I'm going to say Australia is topping the pool. I, I, it's not just the heart that's that's um, that, that's telling me that. I just think that they're, they're, they're I think they're in a better position than Wales are, and they've got an extremely experienced uh, coach who, albeit, has gone a bit rogue over the last six to nine months with selection, with selection of his coaching structure. He he's and I wrote it throughout the week. He's broken every rule this this World Cup campaign. Every single rule, you know. Captain will go for a novice one. A ten who's played five games, uh, dropping all your most experienced players, including your captain. A, a coaching structure that you know none of them really coach in that particular position, and aren't even necessarily rugby coaches themselves. Um, but but. There is something that, that this guy is a mad scientist and you bring it together and you hopefully, from an Australian perspective, he is indeed. But I just think that if the, of the five matches they've played, four of them have been against some of the favourites for this year's World Cup, haven't they? South Africa and Pretoria, New Zealand twice, France in Paris. Yes, they lost to Argentina, but that was less than a week than after being beaten in Pretoria when you've got a day and a half of travel coming back uh, you can understand why they weren't perfect and they should have closed out that game. So as much as it looked like doom and gloom, I still feel like this Australian side is in a better position of where they, where the form guide suggests. I don't think Wales have the cattle. Uh, Warren Gatlin's safe, he's conservative, but uh, where they're going to finish up, I can't imagine they're going to go deep in this, uh, in this World Cup like they might have in previous years. Fiji... Australia, the two I see progressing out of this pool. And LP, perhaps a bit like Tonga in Pool B, Georgia are going to give one of those three a really red-hot go as well, you'd think. Um, whether it's up first, uh, fresh against the Wallabies, um, uh, could they beat Fiji playing a you know fairly set-piece dominated game and give the, the Fijians a bit of strife there? And we saw what they did to Wales, right? Only um, 12 months ago. Uh, they've got a goal kicker who can slot them um, from long range. Um they're a team on the improve uh, who are, you know, banging down the house trying to get into that Six Nations. 
Uh, it doesn't appear that it's going to be happen, but what better way to make a statement than at the World Cup and potentially knock Wales off again or, or upset Fiji or even Australia? Yeah, you know, I think they're, they're poised to absolutely shake up that pool a bit in their own right. I, I think the Wallabies, I think, will be good for that. They'll definitely be... Um, yeah, they'll test us early on, but I think um, I think the Wallabies will be good for that 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 opening match, and hopefully that does turn the ship around for for Eddie and, and Australia's sake. Um, oh, this is the thing: G- Georgia could well take a game off Fiji after Fiji's beaten Wales or or Australia. So it's kind of like you know it, it'll be interesting to see what plays out. But this eleventh in the world, you can't ignore that now. They, they're uh, that's absolutely uh, gonna gonna have some some good impact. And it was interesting. So uh, coming back to Brad Harris again, um, he he actually was the, an assistant coach with Richard Graham at Georgia uh, not long ago, back in that uh, twenty fifteen kind of period. And he was telling me that at the time, all they really cared about because players had come from you know all the forwards had come from uh, you know the French top fourteen, paid on big bucks. All the backs had probably played a bit more local competitions, but all the Georgians cared about was winning the set piece. If they won the set piece, they won the day they fell. Uh, that, that mentality is now shifted. Uh, they've got a stronger domestic comp. They're getting 80,000 there for some games when they're playing uh, Russia or whoever it might be. And you go, hang on, like, why haven't we heard more about this? It was probably because we're on the other side of the world and they've been considered tier two or three for however long they have. But Georgia is now a, a, a squad that, I think it was, he He told me when they got, they felt they got gypped against Wales and Cardiff and Warren Gatlin decided with three minutes to go, George's scrumming them down five metres out. Gatlin goes to uncontested scrums. They feign an injury, go to uncontested scrums and Georgia was livid. They they didn't come away with a, the opportunity to get a penalty, knock it over, come away with a draw against a good Welsh side at the time. And that was like the moment where Georgian rugby had a bit of a mental shift going, you know what, we can actually take it to these guys. You're right to highlight they could knock off a, off a Fijian team. Like how is your, your, your mindset when you potentially had your first two games being so big for Fiji, easy to drop a game after that. Um, you've got to be switched off that four to five weeks, don't you? Sure do, and uh, Nini, Nini Nashvili, I think I've butchered that again, but uh, the winger who plays for Leon, I think he plays fullback for Georgia, is uh, is certainly a guy who uh, represent that growth in that team that they uh, they can attack uh, really well, and he can open a game up. Um, Jensen, I don't think we'll worry too much about Portugal. Great to see them there. I think their second appearance at the tournament um, coming through uh, the repercharge. The last uh, were they the last team in when they beat USA? Um, there in the uh, the quarterfinal qualifying tournament, so uh, well done to the Portuguese uh, returning again. And Christy, you said that they've uh, they got some talented players out there without any world beaters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and uh, they've got a pretty reasonable back row, a hooker that um, you once again wouldn't want to meet in a black alley. He's a guy that's physical and tough, and was getting under the skin of Lockie Swinton. But they just played, tried to play up tempo all the time and catch the Australian side. Uh, off off the guard, um, a nine that will play on quickly won't necessarily be kicking for touch. They've got a good full back who's you know, can take a high ball and ignite an attack. They're probably the couple of guys that you've got to watch out for this in this Portuguese team. Full D. Um, look, uh, probably you know this time last year we were thinking you know what England and England or Argentina uh, doing it comfortably. 
Um, Japan have, have kind of slipped away, sadly, whether they've got a, a spirit of performance uh, in them this time around, not obviously on home soil. Um, I think they've won four of, of 24 games or something since the last World Cup. So they've got some issues, but let's um, let's start with England, and and clearly they have plenty of issues themselves. Uh, Steve Borthwick in as coach, um, after Eddie Jones was sacked, uh, had the Six Nations as kind of well, give us time. We're trying to, um, you know, overhaul this this team and the way we're playing, and um, only had the uh, the two wins during that tournament, um, and look, have looked pretty bloody ordinary in the build up, haven't they? Um, they've had the issues with Alan Farrell, of course, and. Um, that was poorly handled. We all acknowledge that should have been a suspension straight away. That hasn't helped. Billy Vernapola's red card backed it up. So those guys will be missing for a couple of weeks yet. Um, but they just, uh, I, I go through this team and you think of the talent they've still got. And at one time or another, uh, the quality that they've shown, um, you think about, you know, up front, uh, Jamie George and, um, Kyle Sinclair and what he did to Michael Hooper in Brisbane last year. And, how unlucky he was to get hit in the head of the opening minutes of um, the uh, the final there four years ago. Ellis Genge, Atoji, Laws, the captain. Um, and then in the backs, you know, outside of Farrell, there's, there's Ford and, and Marchett and uh, Freddie Stewart's probably gone off a little bit of the boil of late. And then Tuolangi. And uh, the, the guy I'm really forward to, looking forward to see is Ollie Lawrence in the centres, who was the, the Premiership Player of the Year, giving some real thrust, thrust rather, uh, LP. But... Um, Look, it's a bit of a rabble at the moment, not only England, but English rugby as a whole. It is, sadly. I think uh, you, you kind of want England in, in good form coming into the tournament. Um, the Owen Farrell factor is is an intriguing one. Um, you know, he, he he's such a, a big part of that team. What's his best position? Is he best at fly half or is he best at uh, at 12? I, I, I personally think he's probably better at 12. Um, but, but, um, but, yeah, they've got to get that balance right. Um, it's it's certainly misfiring in many different directions at this point in time. So I think you know meeting uh, from an Australian perspective if that if they were to meet England in a quarterfinal, I don't they'd be too worried at the moment. Um, but um, yeah, you, you'd have to think that Argentina have got dibs on wanting to top this pool. Christy, there's a bit of uh, talk about uh, or at least referencing the 2007 England team that finished runners up. To South Africa, they were a bit of a basket case going in. Uh, I think we're beaten thirty-six nil in the first game uh, or their opening game of the tournament by the Springboks, and you know six weeks later, wind up in the final and almost beat the Springboks. Um, at a classic debatable try, I think it was Josh Lucy in the corner, was it? Um, Stu Dickinson, the man uh, at the TMO position at that point in time. But um, is that going to be the case this time around? Can Can Borthwick, you know, just take this team back to? Um, nailing their basics of English rugby, set piece, territory, you know, strong in the air, defensively sound. And I think that's probably the big concern, isn't it? That, um, you know, they gave up 30 points to Fiji on uh, on Saturday and the ease at which Fiji, as we spoke about on Monday's pod, offloaded uh, and you had four English blokes looking around at each other uh, as uh, as the winger, sorry, the replacement scrum half. Uh, Kuravoli, I think, ran it in. Um, can they turn this around, England? Well, history suggests that they can, and, and it's good to highlight 2007. On the evidence of what now is, no. Um, well, I think they've worked themselves into such a pickle with you, right from go to woe. Uh, 
uh, forgetting Eddie Jones for a little bit, I, I think he was trying to strip away a lot of the distraction maybe that they were having there, and 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 that's what he seems like he's done for the Wallabies. Uh, he's always talking and thinking about what a trend's going to be at World Cups, and he's been saying all year, and particularly the last month or two, that there's more uh, ball in play, that trying, um, you know, scoring off the cuff and all those sorts of things. I think he was trying to do that with England, with having going back to the dual playmakers there with with Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell. It clearly didn't have that last year to bring into fruition what he was trying to do, and and sometimes that's as a bit of experiment in those couple of years. But they brought in Steve Borswick, who's a first year head coach, isn't he? An international head coach, and I think he's only been a head coach for two two and a half years. Uh, Clearly did a great job with with uh, with Leicester taking the title and his first up, but it's a completely different ball game. Uh, international rugby and coaching for a couple of weeks or a short period in time compared to forty weeks with a, with a Premiership side. Um, I I just see that they're not on the same page, and that's a that's a strange feeling at this point in time. You don't really know what they're trying to achieve. Their backline looks like they're all at sea. Um, but you're right, you point out that individual talent. Uh, it's all there, but they're all playing like individuals at the moment. And a couple of those smaller guys got steamrolled over the top by Radradra last weekend. If you're Samoa, you're looking at how they played and you're going, well, we're going to try to play up-tempo. We're going to try to uh, spook these guys with 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 heavy physical contact and freeing our arms where we can. That's how I'd be seeing it at the moment there. Board pack, their, their scrum's not as formidable as it once was, I don't think. is uh, not seemingly the player that he was four years ago and indeed three years probably before that. So they need to find a second gear. I think I mentioned it on the, on the Monday pod, Brucey, with you. Uh, Navy has been a blessing in disguise, not having Owen Farrell left for the first couple of games, but you would presume he's coming back. But once again, that means that there's three, three uh, chefs in this one kitchen and, and it can't mean that there's a happy environment because these are competitive people wanting to start in positions that want to start it. You know, George Ford, Owen Farrell have a great partnership and relationship dating years and years, decades, from when they were kids. Do you think they want Marcus Smith anywhere near their territory at 10 and 12? No. Uh, I just think that there's, 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 there's leaks right throughout this squad and there's, it's not a harmonious environment. They're a little bit like Eddie Jones' coaching structure, which is completely random. This one's, however, inexperienced. And you look at the defence coach, uh, only been a, a rugby coach for a couple of years, a grade of rugby league, uh, English rugby league, uh, inspirational person. Uh, you look at, I think it's Ryan Wigglesworth, who's the attack coach. She's only been there for a matter of, of weeks, months. This is a squad that's uh, been there for quite a while, but it's a coaching structure that's only been there for a hot second, and they're fighting their feet. Wow, what a baptism of fire. Watching it draws the, the comparison to 2007, um, really the, the shape of that tournament in comparison to this tournament in terms of the improvement of other teams and uh, contenders is just uh, chalk and cheese, really. Um, you've got... Uh, this is the most open tournament we've ever had. Um, England had some you know, other fortuitous results go their way with that one. So, yeah, clutching at straws there. And, of course, it's a massive opening weekend uh, for this pool as it is with um, 
you know, I, I guess probably all four pools, really, when you look at things, um, England and Argentina kick it off uh, on that Sunday afternoon, a massive game. You've got to think whoever wins that one has probably got one foot in the quarterfinals, despite, you know, Samoa, who will come to shortly and, and to a lesser extent, potentially Japan. Um, but LP, Argentina, uh, certainly some lofty heights in the last 12 months um, under Michael Checker, of course, the first a famous win over New Zealand. Uh, in New Zealand, um, they're, they're second in, in three years um, and uh, win over, you know, England at Twickenham when Eddie was still coach of uh, of England at that point in time. Um, they've had a few heavy defeats along the way and probably backing up big games week to week is always going to be a challenge for, for Argentina. But on their day, as they've shown, uh, clearly when they turned up here in Sydney and beat the Wallabies, uh, you know, obviously aren't of the standard, perhaps of that really elite top four in the game. But um, when they get it right, uh, they're a very hard team to beat. And and I think Czech, you know, I was looking at it today. We all remember 2019 with the Wallabies. It was attack at all costs, and I'm not going to go to a kick and defence game. And virtually there was no plan B. Well, he's kind of got some different ways of playing with this Argentine team. They've defensively sound, really attacked that breakdown all as we saw in, in Sydney against the Wallabies, a, a little bit more endeavour. There's a few new faces in the backs um, who probably just uh, help the things attacking-wise a little bit. Um, look, they, they're the highest-ranked team now in this pool and, and probably deserve to start favourites for that uh, that first-up game against England. They'll be targeting winning this pool. I don't think Jack wants any less. He'll be wanting to win that game and then top the pool. Um Talking about 2007, uh, if there's a team that wants to harness anything from 2007, when the Pumas really announced themselves uh, yeah. last time, you know, France hosted the tournament, wow, what a what a tournament for them coming through um, and and upsetting France as, as well in that opening match, I believe. So, um, look, like you say, they've, they've just got so much more depth to their game um, across the board now. It's, it's interesting how you talk about the development of uh, the Georgia game and now they used to be talked about as as the scrum. Um, same thing for the Pumas of the 80s and, and 90s pre-professional era. You know, it was always about the Argentine scrum and how strong it was. And um, they've just got so much more to to their uh, to their attack now. Um, and, yeah, really, I, 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 they're a genuine chance of, of topping this group and, um, you know, giving things a shake-up at the business end as well. Christy, Pablo Matera heading to his third straight World Cup and, and clearly he remains the the heart and soul of this team, doesn't he? He plays with such passion, but he's got skill in equal measure. Um, can't think how beneficial that season was with the Crusaders for him and, you know, getting the opportunity to work with uh, with Scott Robertson and, look, gets it done on both sides of the ball. Is probably one of the best offloaders in the game, maybe outside of a Finn Russell, potentially uh, his ability to contort his body and, and get a get a ball away, and you just think back to that famous victory, first victory over the All Blacks in Sydney during COVID there, and the look on his face at some of those breakdowns when he was winning turnovers. And um, look, if they're if they're to go to potentially through a semi final here, as they're absolutely equipped to do, um, and then it's anyone's game from there, uh, you think Matera is going to play a large role, a central role rather. Oh yeah, breathing fire he was that day, and he continues to do so. He's kind of like the uh, he's he, he's the bloke that if he's on and he's generally on Argentina or on and they've got a, a 
forward pack and an ability to stop oppositions with their ability to get on the ball. Uh, that, that's that's one of their great things. You look at some of their victories over the last few years has been built off the back of incredible brick wall defence and and complete hostility in that area and then being ferocious at the breakdown. I think they'll continue to do that. But they it's got some outside backs to a who are more than capable of finishing tries and, and scoring some points when they do go wide. I reckon they'll go more wide on 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 when they've got the advantage and use the ball when they've got in the right positions the game. Um, they've got an experienced coach who knows what World Cup's all about now, um, speaks the language, has really embraced the culture. I think Argentina are, are set up really well for this campaign. I, I can see them yet winning the uh, winning the pool for sure and. Um, I just think that the, the the least that they would have got as well. Like, they haven't had the best run in. They've still lost. They've still dropped games against New Zealand and a couple of games against South Africa. But they've shown what they're about. Um, it's a it's a big one. It, it, but once again, I said I said just before Argentina for sure. I think they can do it. But I do think they can. They're more than capable. But there's not a huge amount between some of these sides there and. And and the ability for them to accumulate points, I think they'll do that. A fairly gap shit uh, can get them from anywhere, and I think they'll do that. Particularly in the first couple of games, they'll be wanting to just apply scoreboard pressure, and it'll be a bit of a contrast to what you would have seen from the Wallabies back in probably 17, 18, 19 under Checker. There, they'll they'll bank those points, and they're probably still in the sweet spot of the Checker, what we understand to be the Checker period right the, the kind of year two oh, yeah. into year three where he's had them now from for a year they've bought into what he's trying to do and perhaps the you know the wheels aren't falling off in some places and and little cracks start to appear into into giant um uh the grand canyon if you like uh, as it did with the wallabies in the end so look they're um they're they're red hot for a semi-final i think argentina um they will fancy their chances uh quickly guys um japan and samoa uh japan as we said i think are gone backwards probably considerably since that world cup i mean a couple of reasonable results hosting the wallabies and and all blacks who are probably you know not second string but certainly down uh, a significant amount of players they've got some interesting you know talents in there still um you know kazuki Hameno, the skipper had that season with the highlanders and as a you know a genuinely you know quality back rower um warner derns the giant uh, new zealand born lockers made a bit of a fist of things in recent times um but I tend to think that if, you know, the upset's going to come here, it's going to come from Samoa because we saw them push, uh, you know, again, an, an Irish team missing a few frontline stars in beyond last weekend. But um, they've always had a, a decent team around World Cups with getting a few guys back. And and when you add Stephen Luatour and Lima Sopawanga and Christian Lilofano as well, um, captained by, of course, Michael Alatoa, Alan's brother, who was uh, at the Crusaders for so long now with Leinster, uh, I mean, this is a team that, again, I think they've got one mighty performance in them against either Argentina or England. Christy? But to me, the name that stands out, Sopawanga, that guy's that can play. He can just play. It was incredible during the Highlanders' run in, in 2015. Desperately unlucky not to be playing, really, at that World Cup, wasn't he? Um, just a, a mere few months later, I just he goes overseas a few years after that. Um, 
and spend some time at Wasps. Now I think he went to Lyon. Um, uh, it's yeah, so he'll know French rugby, knows what it's like. Uh, he's just a classy guy, strong kicking game, and can steer around a, a team around the park. And that's probably some of the things that you look at tens of the teams at the moment. Tens, like we use the phrase quarterback these years, like. They, they are essentially that because they've got to make, they're the decision makers. And well, I, I love him. I think everything about him is a quality player. Uh, Stephen Lewatua is quality, um, strong, physical, abrasive, uh, good decision maker. Didn't play nearly as much as he might have thought for the All Blacks. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a team that can potentially shock not just one or two teams, uh, uh, the majority of them. I, I don't know what's happened to Japan. They've fallen off a cliff, it would seem, um, since the 2019 campaign. Uh, you've got to ask questions why, and I'm sure there will be at some point in time, but Samoa will be licking their lips, I think. LP, a couple of other names quickly. Uh, Jordan Taufua uh, was you know, integral to that Crusaders, the early part of Scott Robertson's tenure there in Christchurch in the back row. Um, you've also got uh, Ulipone uh, Suteni who played in the midfield outside Jonathan Dante for La Rochelle is a European Champions Cup winner um, who else uh, great some team. great stunts here you, 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 I've I, I, I tell you I, yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm three six on fire there I but, that, but, uh, and you're channeling uh, some, some real granularity my way here Brucey I, I would say oh, I'll jump him along a bandwagon that, that Christy started such an important part of of their game, um, absolutely uh, pivotal to to their chances. But this is this is a bit like the Italy situation in Pool A. I think the Japan and and um, and uh, and Samoa are really trying to solve that third place in this pool to, to ensure you know immediate qualification next time around. And, and um, it's a sad story. I reckon you're being a bit tough there, there, Lancey. Higher thoughts than that. Yeah. I'm going to drop a couple more names. Of course, Charlie Famuina, that's another one we left out, the former All Blacks prop. Um, great to see Miracle Fylungi, who not only came through, uh, who am I looking for? Minor Pacifica, but was chosen from on island. So he's he's actually the, the poster boy of what that team is trying to achieve, uh, taken from Samoa by um, Minor Pacifica into the Samoan team in a World Cup. That's, you know, world rugby want to, and Super Rugby Pacific and New Zealand Rugby, by extension, really want to be seeing that from from the treetops. Um, look, I, I agree with Christy. I, I think you know they're um, they'll give one, if not both, of both Argentina and and England uh, a, a good crack. Uh, Duncan Paiua, of course, was very close to a Wallabies call up there uh, this time last year. Um, Nigel R. Wong's another name familiar in this part of the world. So a, a lot of uh, you know a lot of Super Rugby quality and and now established European quality and tinge with those All Blacks names that we mentioned uh, is going to make up a really, really strong squad. Um, before we wrap up... Sorry, 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 sorry I need a writer for a reply. <laughs> no, I need a writer reply there. I, I, all I would say is that you know, if if England do get stung by the Pumas early on, then um, they'll they'll probably come out with a, a bit of vengeance for the uh, the latter part of the pool, uh, which you know, doesn't, doesn't play to that so well for Samoa, but look, they'll they'll absolutely be giving it a good shake. I've just the the rise of the Pacific nations really from pretty much from 2007 really onwards has, has been great, and uh, I think with the um, 
the, the drawer now and, 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 you know, the onset of how, how much the game has changed for Fiji. Hopefully that we see that across some of these other Pacific nations. Chile boys, uh, just a quick congratulations to them making their, their first tournament. Um, and, and the one player, the one name that, uh, people might recognize, uh, was, um, I was just looking at it today and I've lost it here. It is, uh, Rodrigo Fernandez. Um, who, uh, yeah, scored that um, try, that famous try against the US on that mud bath uh, as part of their two-game qualification series. Um, and if you're looking for a little bit more about Chilean rugby, then I can highly recommend Squidge Rugby's 20-minute uh, uh, presentation on his YouTube channel. I watched it on the train on the way into work, and uh, it was uh, really informative. A bit of history there, LP. I know that's your bread and butter, so um, I'm sure you'll get into that. Uh, boys, I'm mindful with, with... Sorry, LP. Oh no! Look, there's there's always good stories to these qualifications. I mean, they did knock off uh, Canada and the US. Let's not forget that to get here. So it's it's an interesting one. Um, but but yeah, look, well done on getting here. Uh, before we go, guys, I realise we've we've gone way over time. Um, but um, we better uh, some predictions are all right. Uh, I'm going to go out first, and I've been on them since probably you know this time last year. I think South Africa are the team to beat. They're my pick to win it all. The concerns around Marty Libok aside, I think they've got all uh, bases covered. Um, and look, uh, even if they were to lose in a pool, uh, we've, they've showed in the last tournament, clearly they can bounce back. I think they'll win that pool. I think they'll win their quarterfinal and I think they'll go on and win it all. Christy, how do you see it? Well, I see France beating South Africa in the quarterfinal. Uh, and uh, I see France, uh, as I've already said, I'll see them coming second in, in the quarter behind... New Zealand, South Africa topping it, and then France knocking them over, and then France taking on New Zealand in the finals. I think Australia is is the dark horse in this one. Um, Fiji, I think, uh, perhaps is a, is another one. I don't know if Ireland um, make it through past the quarterfinals, but uh, if they do, they will have fully deserved it. If they don't, uh, nonetheless, it's been a, a great kind of eight-year period, really, fireish rugby. Um, so, you know, if you look at consistency, we, we love to go World Cup champions. But Ireland have been incredibly consistent over the last six years period. But, yeah, France, for, for, for me. I uh, have to say I support the same France France for this one. Springboks definitely have come good at, at, at the right time, but uh, let's not forget um, their, their first efforts over in New Zealand, all those players, they rested to try and take that game uh, early on in the rugby championship and then just fell very flat for them. So um, hopefully they, they might have learnt a bit from that, I think, for, for Springbok fans. They're very buoyant, thinking they're, they're well-placed. Are they what? <laughs> yeah. Well placed to do it back to back, but um, for me, I, this this could be France's moment. You know, they've been beaten finalists a, a few times now, so it's, this this really is poised to them. And the stage surely set for Antoine Dupont to, uh, you know, truly uh, affirm his status as, as one of the game's great. Um, right, gents, uh, LP. Before we go, a quick plug for your book, mate. Um, look, it's a it's a great read. I, I've been through it myself. Um, exciting things happening. Uh, just, just tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, look at available on all audiobook uh, major audiobook uh, avenues, Audible, etc. Um, a few long haul flights in front of you. You're already over there, Christy. But uh, Sam, there's uh, definitely some listening that you can do on a long haul flight there with a vino or a beer. Um, yeah, look, it's the the book's been an interesting one. The first edition was done in 2007. Um, 
we didn't uh, do a hard copy into in 2019. It was audiobook only, and that will be the same uh, after this tournament. Um, the audiobook, uh, you know, the, the whole podcast listening thing is is just moved in that direction. But it might make a resurgence uh, as a bit of a coffee table. I'm um, uh, 27 down under. Watch this space, but um, yeah, <laughs> watch this space. A complete, sorry, a complete history of the Rugby World Cup by Lance Pedia. One to, uh, as you said, download from audiobooks or wait for the uh, the hard copy or pick up the old hard copy, um, which um, we've got a few of those around the ESPN offices, funnily enough, LP. Um, Christy, mate, thank you. I will see you uh, Wednesday afternoon in Paris, mate. Uh, you uh, you get organised. Um, should be a lot of fun. Can't wait to get up there because clearly I've done enough research and I'm ready to see some actual footy. Uh, and LP, mate, uh, thanks for joining me in a, Absolute pleasure having you on and, uh, yeah, enjoy the footy. I'm sure you will. I think you might be making an appearance in, in Marseille. So Christy and I will have a rosé ready for you up there uh, in quarterfinal week, mate. Thank you for having me, guys. Yes, I uh, will be uh, making my way to Marseille. So that, that, that'll be the moment I will we'll enjoy. Well, hopefully from an Australian perspective, it's a different result than 2007. Uh, and on that, au revoir. But um, thank you and uh, good to chat. Yeah. Au revoir, Jensen. Au revoir, everyone. Uh, bon chance to everyone uh, making uh, their way to France and, of course, to those playing. Uh, can't wait to get up there. And and uh, I think we all agree this is the most intriguing Rugby World Cup we've had on record yet and uh, should be fantastic. Seven weeks. Uh, thanks all. And we'll talk to you again in uh, either the build-up to next week or perhaps after the opening weekend. Cheers.